Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tonaries podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hey, everyone. And this week, uh, Ron is on the decks, I should say. Say hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. And uh, we've got John Creedon in the studio. How's the farm, John? Uh, not bad. Palpitating uh, a little bit because, uh, first of all, I'm sorry for being late, but number two is uh, I often hear Timmy talking there about imposter syndrome, mm. and I've got a bad today, right, because... You know, Timmy often said that he often said he wasn't good enough or, mm. well, I've never done a stretch in prison. And as far as I know, I'm not battling any addiction or anything. So I'm suffering desperately from imposter syndrome. And it's not even that I don't feel good enough. Mm. I don't feel bad enough to be here, right? But, 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 That's but, the first time I've ever heard that yeah, one, I see. Yeah. I mean, look at these two bad boys. I know. But you're, you're an outie oh by the skin God. of your teeth. I just by the skin of my teeth, but, uh, but delighted. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in... Cobra Street, just over Patrick's Bridge there. Across just from Bridge Street and yeah, Leitrim Street. Yeah, that yeah. was all, that was our turf by, all the way from Domley Street from Shandon down to the train station really was our So, you know, like back in those days, if you're looking at the, the funeral home and the hotel, yeah, like was there houses, people living in them houses where the shops are now? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It kind of saddens me in ways to see the place has run down, but it's the nature of things. Nothing mm. ever stays mm. the same. That part of the city is kind of neglected, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is just that little pocket. But the only thing is that um, I, I often think people say it's very multicultural around mm. there because I'm back living roughly in the same area. I'm up the hill a small bit. I've yeah. moved up in the world a bit. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is that... Uh, it was always multicultural. I mean, it was a really colourful childhood. I spent 13 years in Dublin and I'd hear fellas from Rathfarnham talking about uh, a culture. I'm going to go on, culture. I'd Armenians living next door. There was a guy from Uganda living upstairs, right? Mm. We had the Turkish Delight Factory. We had a late night club and comedy club. Mm. And I grew up in the late night shop. So it was, uh, so it was a colourful existence. Like, so. What was it like growing up in the city centre? Great. I mean, you get very used to, like, all that goes with it, you know, mm. there's a, a fight in the street, there's nothing new about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because it was a late night shop, obviously you were exposed to, to all of that. But I had great parents and a big family. I'm I'm one of 12. And Jeez, that's a big family. Jazz, it is a big yeah. family. He actually was a fellow in my class. He, had, he was one of 14. I remember he said to me one day, he said, uh, I said to my mom, I said, ma'am, do you love us? He said, love you? I don't even know half you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but, but, uh, my, my parents were, uh, and they were brilliant, I have to say. And like everything that life threw at them, like they were still in love all the way. Like, and, and they were, they were, they were, they were generous to a fault. Like, and that was often taken advantage of, I think, well, mm. be times. But I remember, uh, I remember one night, um, there was this fella caused havoc in the shop and, uh, it was, 
big, tall, strong man in his 40s, like, and uh, he was drunk. And uh, But he attacked this taxi driver who came into the shop. And he was effing and blinding and roaring at my mother and everything else. And I, I'm like fisticuffs now is not my chosen subject, but I managed mm. to pr- try and protect the taxi man by grabbing him around the, the arms like mm. that. But between the kicking and the bucking anyway, the two of us fell over and he hit his head and, uh, and caught himself. And when the guards came eventually, like, um, he was like, what he didn't call my mother, but I remember she wouldn't let him be taken away until she dressed the wound. And even when she was like washing it, he was effing and blinding her and everything else. And she was a very quiet woman, like very quietly spoken. And I said to her afterwards, I said, ma'am, I said, how'd you put up with that? She said, well, she said, some, some poor woman's baby once. Mm. And the penny dropped, you know, I kind yeah. of realized that, you know, like we're all folks, we're all stumbling around. Yeah. If we, if, if we, if we weren't flawed, we wouldn't be here. Like you know, the ability yeah. to forgive. It's a very powerful act. It is a piece on YouTube there. Um, I'd encourage people to watch it, but it's about the Green River Killer. He's one of the most notorious serial killers in the United States. He killed about 40 women, Copy, right? Yeah. And when he was being sentenced, I think he got the death chair. You can imagine mm-hmm. the death penalty. But there was victim impact statements. The judge allowed the victims of the families to approach him and explain how his actions had impacted on them. So one after another, they lined up to this monster. You hope you're born in hell. You destroyed our lives. You killed my daughter. She mm. was innocent. You're, you're an animal. You're this, that. And he just stood there like ice. And they're like, this man is not human. You know, he's an monster. Mm. And one father came up, right? And he says, you know what? He says, I actually forgive you. I feel sorry for you. That's somebody could do some heinous things to so many bad people. I actually feel sorry for you. And the Green River Killer broke down in tears in the box. Mm. And that had way really more of an gems. impact. Yeah. 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 It's like, do you, do you remember Gordon Wilson, the time of the Enniskillen or the Oma, uh, the Enniskillen bombing? And, um, they blew up the cenotaph. The, uh, the IRA blew up the cenotaph and they knew there'd be a, a gathering of, of, uh, of Protestants there at it and uh, unionists and so on. And, uh, Sure, he was not senseless. He was an old man, but his daughter, who was probably in her thirties, uh, was a nurse and she was beside him in the rubble and he managed to get a hand. He could barely touch her. And she said, Daddy, I'm dying, you know, and, uh, that's how she died. But immediately he, f- he forgave the IRA. He said, he said, like, if I was one of them, I'd be doing what they do. If they were mm-hmm. me, they'd be doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just so, if you for the want of a better term, disarming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I came across a great thing in Eckhart Tolle's little book, uh, Stillness Speaks. Yeah. And he said, if you were born into her family at her time with her DNA, her life experience and her level of consciousness, you would walk, talk and behave exactly as she does. I know. For God's sake, be compassionate, will you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, no. you know, so, un, un, unless you'd believe people are genetically yeah. evil, there has to be a reason why people yeah, are. True. It's the natural side of people. Mm. It's, yeah. the, it's and the experiences, experiences yeah. Yeah. the influences and, of other human beings bef- that are bringing them up as well have a yeah. massive, yeah. massive part in it. But when you come through some form of adversity in life, um, like myself and James you now and, and the different experiences we've had, you see people that are, have, are, are actually living in the experience that you would have had and the compassion and empathy you could have for those mm-hmm. people knowing that where they are in their own lives. Yeah. You, you've and actually reminded me of a, another time in the, in the shop because yeah. there was always something going on in the mm-hmm. late night shop. We didn't close until one in the morning, right? Well, so what yeah. kind of, what, what did you say? It, it was, it was fags, cigarettes, like, groceries, um, and groceries news yeah. agency, that kind of thing. And, um, 
But and, I mean, of course, with the Hilton across the road and stuff, there was always show bands coming in and bits and bobs and all that stuff. But I remember uh, one Christmas, actually, going down to visit my dad. I was living in Dublin at the time. And um, uh, he said to me, uh, there was always some character in the shop. But he said to me, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on a second. So I came out. There was an old man outside and he was saying, he was saying, Connie, he's very bad. I brought him downtown this morning. Would he have a cup of tea? No. Coffee? No. Nothing. Christ almighty, I had to bring him back up and throw him into the bed again. My dad said, he's talking about himself in the third person, right? Mm. That's how he was. So the next thing was anyway, um, there was another fellow there and he was in the Simon, right? And a lot of the Simon guys used to come into the shop to cash in the coins yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. notes. And uh, there was this fellow there anyway, Donny, and uh he was, he was always Grand McCree. Mr. Creighton, Connie Creighton, your son is a trope, boy. You're one of our own, boy. You understand us and all that kind of stuff. So my dad was bending down, getting something out of the glass case. And next thing was he spotted Tommy nipping across the other counter and grabbing a whole load of apples and oranges, whatever he could grab. Like, so my dad got up, get out, you trap. He says, you're no, you're no friend of mine. Get out, Tom, get out. And uh, your man legged it. So. About three or four hours later, about half one in the morning, I'm sitting inside in the kitchen talking to my dad, we're drinking tea and chatting away. And next thing is we're here on the, on the, on the window outside. Leave a go, dad. I said, it's the story of our lives. There's always someone looking yeah. for, to use the phone or something, right? Yeah. And I might be some fella stuck for a pint of milk or a pack of the fags. I go out anyway. So, uh, <laughs> I went out with him anyway and opened up all the chains and the locks and the bolts and the door and everything else. Who's inside the door? Your man? He'd gone away. He obviously had a, Bought it to a Buckfast Abbey, forgot where he robbed the stuff. Oh. I came back to the scene of the crime. So he's at the door and he goes, Connie, he says, you wouldn't have an old bag for this, love, would you? He'd forgotten completely that he'd oh, stolen them from. So I looked at my dad <laughs> and my dad looked at me. My father said, John, two brown bags from the gentleman there. Yeah. And we loaded up the apples and oranges. And he went, I see a drop up during the week, dear Connie. <laughs> and I just thought, I, I was yeah. I was thinking to myself afterwards, like maybe my dad is Santa Claus. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. like, he, he would take it on the chin. Yeah. He'd let it roll. He knows you come into the world naked and there's yeah. no pocket in the shroud. Yeah. So. Sounds like you were brought up by two really, really yeah. conscious people and, and good people, John. They yeah. were very, like, they were gentle to a, they were good to a fault, really, in ways. Yeah. I mean, they kind of ended up going skint themselves in their old age. But, mm. like, people come into the shop for a slice pan. My mother would be trying, I'll give you a brown loaf for the same price yeah. for the kids, you know, to try and. Yeah. So, they, they, yeah, my mother was very. Nurturing our age was very good. Where was uh, school for you? School was like it was for a lot of people at the time. It was uh, rough in parts and brilliant in other parts. So um, I started out in Easons Hill. Oh, you know, know Easons Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, with the pony and everything Right else. under the, the clock. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I just love, I love that part of town. I There's actually a recovery meeting in that building. I knew they were using it for, yeah. it was kind of a public yeah. space now. So that's where I started out. But I was tiny, like I was... I, all my life, I've been the youngest kid in the class, and so that's how it was. Same in the North Man. Were you put into school at an early age? Um, I was. It's a, there were, there were, I suppose there were so many of us. Was as soon as you yeah. could tie your laces. I next, know, I get out. next. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so anyway, uh, so uh, the North Man for primary school, and again that was mixed. Um, yeah, it was like the corporal punishment, which we know now. What and, was it like back in the day, John? Um, the bit I found hardest, I mean, obviously the slaps hurt and they mm. did use the leather. I often wonder about mm. the people who made those leathers. Where know, they, yeah. Someone had to make them to manufacture these thick straps. If there's a market for something, why it'll be made. It doesn't matter what it is, if there's a market. Yeah, it's the people that are carrying out the action of the whipping. Mm. Yeah, know, but I you often know, wonder what's going through. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this might sound mad, no, but I'm channeling Gordon Wilson here and I'm saying I forgive him because, um, look, 
a lot of those guys, like, I think an awful, okay, for, for a country our size, as it was, 3 million people, to produce 10,000 holy men per generation, Hmm. I don't think the other vocations really. Um, in many cases, it was the eldest boy. It was it was an education. It was so there was a lot of them desperately frustrated. They shouldn't have been inside there mm. with fifty one mad like there was fifty one in my class, mm. and there was fifty one in in, in Mon A B, and there was two other fifty ones across the other in Mon B. Yeah. So there was two hundred and four kids yeah. in every year. It's a whip in a chair you're going yeah. in there. So these were young men who probably should have, you yeah. know, been at home with their wives. I know. And so so at a, at a certain level. I can only speak for myself, uh, you know. Or at home with their husbands, you know, logically. Or, or so in some cases, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and yeah. the thing about it is, I feel we were all victims mm. in, the, in that entire system, you know. Mm. Like a lot of the nuns mm. as well probably had no vocation. I remember actually saying it to an elderly nun once down in Black Rock. I said to her, do you know you have a bad old reputation? She said, I know. She's like, there's, you know, a lot. And I said, um, in fact, I had another very interesting meeting with a nun up in the Good Shepherds, not the, not the, not the Good Shepherds, the Poor Clares up in, up in Galway. They're in a the closed order as well. Yeah. But um, I remember I straight up I asked her, I said, it's been very tough, I said, being a young nun. I said, and you're there with a class full of kids all day. And then these handsome daddies come to collect them yeah. at three o'clock when you've got to go back down to the community. Mm. She says, yeah, it'd be tough going, all right. And I said, how do you deal with this? She said, like most decisions, she said, you're never 100% sure of anything, she said, but if you can stick with the 60%, you'll, you'll get there eventually, she said, so mm. no regrets. But like, yeah, that was, so, so the whole thing was tough, like, it was, yeah. tough on, it was tough on all of us, tough on the guards, tough on the teachers, mm. tough on... The mind secondary as well? No, um, I went off to boarding school then, and uh, I suppose growing up in the city centre and all that, and uh, my mother and father probably taught me better idea if I went to a boarding school. Where was that? So they sent me to Killarney. Mm. And uh, that was a bit of a culture shock, mm. all right, because, um, again... City wide on in Clowney, like. Yeah, I, I had a Cork Kibbs outfit. Mm, Cork Kibbs, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're all wearing Kerry yeah. jerseys. I never played Gaelic football. Mm. Around the streets where I grew up, it was always soccer mm. and hurling. So for us, it was Christy Ring and Wiggy. It was Cork Kibbs and the Glen. Like, that's... Yeah. That's where it all happened for us. And all of a sudden, these fellas were playing big ball. It's and even still like that today, isn't it? The, the hurling and the soccer is way more popular in the city. And then the Gaelic mm. football is kind of in the towns. Yeah. And the, but you know, do you know the reason the for country. that? Uh, well, my understanding anyway, is when the GAA was formed, when they, like, with, within, with, in the late 1800s, mm. when they tried to standardise Gaelic games, because it was house rules wherever you went. You can kick in the shins or you can't kick in the shins. You, mm. can, the, you know? So when they tried to standardise the games, um, it was monster rules were being adopted for hurling and Antrim were complaining about it down a lot of the northern counties were very fed up saying no Munster was winning the argument really in terms of what the standard for the game should be and that meeting was held in Hayes' Hotel in Turles it's actually the home of the GA really I suppose mm-hmm. and um, and the Ulster counties walked out in a huff they said keep it if that's the way it is keep it and they walked out and ultimately monster rules were adopted and if you if you were to stick a compass into Hayes' hotel and draw a circle around it that's where hurling is strong today Tipperary Kilkenny Wexford Waterford East Cork North Cork Limerick Clare mm. South Galway mm. yeah, that's yeah, it yeah, yeah, going yeah. to West Kerry West Cork it's not really that strong it, yeah. And if you go north of Offaly, like it's it's amazing, yeah, and, it so. and people often say it's because you need good land, you need good flat land to play hurling. I don't buy that. Mm. Uh, I think it's to do with the fact that um, it was the game as it was played within a hundred miles of Torlas. Yeah, it makes sense, though. Yeah. yeah, what was it like in the boarding school? 
again, mixed. Um, you know, it's amazing. People often talk about one good adult and all that. But um, I was, I, it was tough going. I was 11. Uh, I was the youngest kid in the school. Mm. So, um, uh, yeah, that was tough going. I look back and it really, and, you know, you're trying to be a little little man and you're trying mm. to get it together. Yeah. And you long for your parents and your family. Yeah, man. I just found it hard to keep up as well in school, you know. So I, that's when I first realised how thick I was. <laughs> and, mm. and uh, but, um, but, you know, when you're the smiley, yeah. Like a year is a big difference. Like, normally, if you went to school at the age of four and your class are five, mm-hmm. a year is a lot. That's yeah. 20% of your life. Yeah. And pe- young people develop a lot in 12 months, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you're going into the school at four and the rest of them are five, already you're at a disadvantage, you know what I mean? And you could be behind the whole mm-hmm. way along. Yeah. Whereas if you went in at the right age, maybe you're not. Was that a, was it? That-, that, makes, that makes a huge difference. I didn't realise it then, obviously. I yeah. thought it was cute being the youngest in the school. like, And yeah. I also thought it was cute not being from Kerry. But funny thing is, I was talking to someone recently about about your ego and about trying to get behind that, trying to drop down deeper. And I know you mm-hmm. meditate regularly. And I'm a kind of a, I won't say a failed meditator because I do return to it be times. And, and I know there's no such thing as a good or a bad meditation, but sometimes when I do drop down and I get in behind my head and behind the thinking and behind the personality to mm. who I really am, I get that understanding that all this stuff out here is Amazing. personality. Yeah. And that can, and I often give the example, I was saying it to some kids recently, that like there was a time when I was 11 and for the whole first year in boarding school, I wasn't allowed home. Uh, but the second year, I used to get home on Sundays and go to Flower Lodge. And oh, yeah. But when I was an 11-year-old boy... Parky ring now, people will know what that is. Yeah, it's parky ring now. Mm. But I used to, um, just to, to see Hibs playing, and I loved it. Like I just loved, loved being back with the Cork accents, mm. uh, with the Hibs boot boys. There's no one going to touch me now. I'm with, you know, I'm with my yeah, tribe yeah, now, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. so for me, that's why I think I still have that huge emotional connection to Cork City Football mm. Club. Mm. It's urban, it's working class, it's subculture, it's... It's Jack Russell's. It's us. Mm. And, and I just always loved it. But um, to see Hibs playing, it meant there was only one way getting back to Killarney. That was getting a train from Cork up to Mallow. And I had to wait on the platform for Mallow for nearly three hours to get the Dublin train at seven o'clock that was yeah, coming through. Yeah, yeah. So after a couple of weeks, the CIE man spotted me. He said, are you all right there, kid? And I said, yeah, my dad drives a bus for CIE. And I said, oh, come in for a cup of tea. So I got to know the boys up there. But I was thinking, like... I was once that boy. I was 11 years of age. I didn't shave. I was a virgin. Mm. I hated girls. Mm. I hated Kerry people. Mm. And look at me now. I'm, I have four kids. I'm an orphan now. My mom and dad are gone. Mm. I do shave. I'm good at Kerry people again. They and I'm an old girl. They, they grew on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the point is, so which one am I? Mm. Is that boy dead? I mean, his hair is grown out. Those yeah. fingernails. Every cell in my body has replaced itself. So I'm not my body. Mm. And I'm not my mind because I changed my mind a thousand times. Mm. So who am I? And that's kind of, that's what, that, that's mm-hmm. what I've been curious about mm. since I was a kid. So mm-hmm. that's why I would dip into. Special, yeah, yeah. I suppose you're just really adapting into something that is an easier way of living, really. You know, it's all about finding yourself as well, isn't it? It's, it's about finding what works for John is about finding what works for James um, and what works for you in a way that you're not harming anybody else and, and yeah. you're, you're healing yourself and you're, you're, you're also f- feeling better about yourself where your confidence is getting stronger, yeah. self-esteem issues, you know, even, even you said something there earlier on about maybe uh, 
when you were a kid, you would have felt uh, in the thick, you know? It's about even overcome, for me, it would about even overcoming all these insecurities that I would have had about education, about mm. not being good enough and all that. Yeah. And that, for me, is the progression in life. That's about really going towards that authentic person, you know, where the materialistic things in life no mean nothing anymore, mm. Mm. you know? Some things are there because they help you to be more efficient in life and do things better and faster. Tools, mm. a van, you know, but they don't matter at the end of the day. It's where, like, it's when you come to a place in life where the most important thing in your life is how you feel about yourself and the bit of peace that you have inside in the head where yeah. the voice isn't completely critical and negative constantly. Yeah. That's, but that's the, the realisation as well, John, like what you were saying there and Timmy yeah. is about um, under, kind of realising and understanding that we're not our bodies are our thinking and the body is a vessel mm. or our and, past, yeah. and, and the mind is not you, but we're something a bit more deeper than that. You yeah, know, yeah. it's a bit more spiritual than that. And there's um, a Jungian psychology, they talk about individuation, it's about who trying to become your real self, your true self. And that takes a lot of time. But I think when you're young and you don't have that awareness, and you wear your physical appearance, yeah. you know what I mean? And you can get very self-conscious. But I think as you get a bit mature, you kind of kind of don't give a shit as much. Yeah, you know I'm I mean? starting yeah. to let myself go now. I like, <laughs> I like to work out, but I, I think at this stage of my life, I can start. <laughs> but you know, do you know what you remind me of there? There was a song I remember one day looking at my dad asleep in the passenger seat. And he was he was pushing on. He was around the 80 mark. Mm. And he was like, you know, he, uh, he was a very funny man. Like, I mean, old bag of bones. But he used to say, but... Uh, I remember we were actually going to Westport and I said, he said to me, where are we going to Westport? He said, what's the rush? Two kids in a jam on, we'd be there. Like, <laughs> and I, I close shaved that. But anyway, he was sitting there and he was snoring away in the passenger seat. And I was looking at him thinking how, how, how fond I was of him because he really was a lovely man. Yeah. Like, mm. And um, uh, But it, it sound came on the radio, Willie Nelson. My body's just a suitcase for my soul. Yeah, and yeah. I thought brilliant. My dad always travelled light. Like even with the day he died, yeah. all he had in his little bag was he had the pajamas. He had a picture of Patsy Frayne. Go away, old dad. A picture of Patsy Frayne and a match program and uh, a couple of bob, eighteen quid or something. And like you know, he That's always travelled light. He was a real kind of cowboy, but yeah. but he was always on the road. He was a bus driver anyway, but he loved the road and he'd stay with me for a couple of days. And my sisters Nora and Vorneen and like he stayed with all of them. And uh, like he moved, he moved. He was nearly eighty. He moved to Bray County Wicklow. I said to him, Dad. Whatever about coming in from Inchigila when you were a boy, <laughs> moving to Bray at 80 years of age. What business have you up here? It's fucking random, isn't it? And, and you know, he said to me, what are you on about? He said, that place is full of bingo and widows. He said, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in clover. <laughs> he was, no, he was brilliant. But, uh, but, but the thing was, as you were saying there about, um, about forgiveness and all that, I often think like that. And again, I, you're supposed to you have to preface everything by saying, I think, I believe. Yeah, at the course. moment, I understand it. Yeah. That we're all pilgrims, everybody, mm. even people who don't claim they don't have faith or who don't go to church. I don't go to church, really. I'd go to any church, no problem. And I stand up at the right places and yeah. behave myself and be kind and the best I can. But I think anybody who gets out of bed in the morning is a pilgrim. Everybody mm. thinks, I think most of us are trying to get to a place where it doesn't hurt anymore. Exactly. So yeah. whether that means like yeah. once I have enough money, I'd be grand or yeah. if I had that car or if I had that lip job or if mm. I, um, if I get rid of him, everyone like is trying to get to a place where it doesn't hurt anymore. And in that regard, I think everybody's a pilgrim and that might mean I need to go up and get a, Get a fix. I'm, you know, or I need, I need to, I, I need something to where it doesn't, everyone I think is trying to come home. 
Mm. Everyone is trying mm. to get home. It's, and, yeah. And as you said there about like about the forgiveness thing, like that. Um, like uh, I often think that um, like self forgiveness is a very difficult That's one. You've spoken a lot one. about that. Yeah, this but, is the most important one, John. Really, isn't yeah. it? But when I look back at say that eleven year old boy or whatever, or I look back at me when I was eighteen and I was saucy with a bouncer or slammed the door of a taxi or whatever. Mm. I forget myself. That's who I was then. Yeah. After. That's who I was then. Like, you we, know, we, we yeah. progressed in life after that, you know what I mean? And if Jesus, if you can't be beating yourself over the back with a rat for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Do you know you the can, way I see? We can, but you get nowhere with no, it. No, no, <laughs> no. And it, do, it doesn't it. make amends for it either, do you yeah. know? No, no, I, that's true too. Yeah. That's important. Well, yeah. I, we have young kids at home um, and it's great watching them because the youngest is 10 and he's gone from the period of no questions when you tell them to do something oh, to the nice. questioning everything and well you know the ego is starting to develop at this stage right he's gone over to the kind of imaginary uh, place and he's gone into that place where he's developing 14 year old has the ego trust me right it's well developed <laughs> and it's there for a while but what we do is we go from that period um of the young child and the imagination running wild and trying to figure out the life and 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 then into the ego state and and particularly at the moment now with all social media and the instagram and have to look this way and have to look that way kids are trapped in that young teenagers and and that's that's where a lot of them are today but they'll go through their period and it it'll work for a certain amount of time john yeah you know until maybe late 20s, early 30s, and then they'll say, the, var, the car isn't doing it for me, the nice house isn't doing it for me, their mental health might be a bit bad. And then they hit that little period of life where yeah. they'll start looking at maybe meditation, no addictions might be there as well. But I think a lot of people go through that kind of process in yeah. life. Mm-hmm. If, I, I often I think it's with bereavements too. It yeah. might be, it might start, say, with a granddad or a grandmother or a parent or something, and you start to say, where do we go when we die? Yeah. That's hugely important. Mm, do you know yeah. what I mean? Or, you know, like uh, I love folklore and history and stuff, and yeah. it's it's probably difficult for a lot of people, myself included, or it was, to try and realise that they were real people. Mm. They spoke with Cork accents. It was a wet Tuesday. They were mm. walking down Winthrop Street. They were real people, and there's an awful lot more of them than there is of us. Do you know mm. what I mean? We're just a top layer, and um, and I'm I particularly like in the last five, six, seven or eight years. Um, I've lost a lot of good friends in their 50s and uh, early 60s and stuff. And it's not that that's been an eye opener because that eye was opened years ago. Uh, but but the point of the matter is, um, for me, I suppose now I'm asking myself, how many years have I left? Three, mm. 15, mm. 18? Never I know, know I haven't got 30 anyway, but I don't expect. Mm. So it's like, um, I don't want, I don't want to be arguing with anybody. I don't, I don't want, um, I don't want, to where possible to avoid any kind of confrontation, stress, anything like that. And uh, as I said, I think we're all pilgrims. I am anyway. I just yeah. want to get home. I want to become a really lovely old man. Mm. You know what I mean? You know, um, after I wouldn't call you old Lenny at the moment. But you there. are definitely lovely. I'm getting and, <laughs> yeah. On a good day too. Yeah. You know, when you were growing up, were you always a big, strong man? Um, I was, but I had eight big sisters. So I was, I was loved into a marshmallow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have sisters now. They come up to my waist and they still call me baby John. Go away with that. <laughs> oh, love Jesus. Uh, yeah. They don't pick me up and hug me anymore though. Mm. But uh, what, no. what did you do after the boarding school? Um, everything and anything really. Um, I was a fierce man for, can I have a go? Can I have a go at something, you know? Yeah. And, and I look back now and I, well, what happened was 
Um, I got some notion. It was probably a bad notion, really, that I wanted to do law um, because I was a fierce man for... It's a bit like corporal punishment and stuff. It's the injustice that's done to other people really affects you as well. Mm. When you see a fellow getting picked on or, or you know he didn't do it and he's still getting the clatter. Um, so yeah. I had this mad notion. I was going to ride into town and clean up the whole place. Like, But uh, um, anyway, I started in, in college, but I... You know, um, I, I ended up starting a family before I started my studies. So I quit college and I was a dad at 20. Like, and uh, so they were tough old years in terms like, what, of the what, economy. What, what year are we talking about now? Um, 1979, 80. Yeah. Tough times? They were because, because there was a, what they call it the credit squeeze first. It really, it was a full on mm-hmm. recession. It became, and I remember I was like living in Mary Street, but I remember we used to go out like when we were on the dole. Um, be times and uh, uh, pulling furniture out of skips, you know, mm, to kind yeah. of try and heat the house and keep keep the kids warm. And I mean, people think that sounds like Charles Dickens. Sorry, that's how it was. But we still had a few laughs, and yeah. there was still, was still yeah. plenty of crack. And um, so, um, like, th- it was tough. And I mean, like, bank loans were crazy. What they were charging people like was scandalous. Mm. Um, and Bob Geldof, like quite rightly yeah. and quite angrily, described it as police and priests. It was a tough old regime. You go to the tax office, go back and, you know, like dealing with anybody, the civil service, you yeah, know, well. it, it was, it was, it was tough unless you had some influence or you were educated or strong or whatever it was. So, do you know, and, um, so you grew up in Colbrook yeah. Street, you're living in Mary Street, now we're yeah. a young family. So they're very city centre based. But yeah. also in the city centre, you've a lot of affluence and people doing really well in shops. Yeah. Was the Cork City at that time very contrasting and kind of? I think in the city centre, for the most part, it was run down. Was it, it really was? Yeah. Um, as uh, but but you're, you're right. I've noticed that. And usually with the bigger the city, places like Rio de Janeiro, Mexico City, with 26 million, 30 million people, mm. you'll find the fabulously rich living side by side with the fabulously poor. Yeah, like, and yeah. it's just. Like that, that starts yeah. an energy, I think. That starts mm. a kind of a, it, it starts something where people are praying off one another. And, yeah. but um, no, Cork was always Cork in fairness. People were fairly decent and, and, and all the rest of it. But um, it would have been, it would have been tough going. So in many ways, to be honest about it, RT has been my oh. university. I mean. How did you manage to get into RT? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. A few failed attempts, first and foremost. Um, but like, um, how does an opportunity like that come up? Well, actually, believe it or not, it was an ad in the paper. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to start whinging about how difficult it was at the beginning because it was. And there were, like, there were impediments put in my way. Um that were actually, I felt unfair, I know, were unfair. Um, Can you give well, uh, I remember one stage I was asked, but I auditioned for 2FM. Some guy, some talent scout or whatever, had heard me on Pirate Radio and said... Did you start off a Pirate? I did, yeah. I did, yeah. And that was great crack, yeah, yeah. Why, tell us when both anyway, 2FM first But I was asked for the audition and, uh, and they put on a six-week training and assessment course and there was 16 of us and someone was going to get the gig at the end. So I slept on a friend's floor above in Dublin, a fella mm. who had a bed sitting right mines and uh, over every day, like, please God, let me get the job. I really would love this, you know? And uh, at the end of the 16, uh, at the end of this six week training course, uh, I got a call. Um, the boss wants to speak to you there. The head of radio wants to speak to you. We'd love you. Could not believe it, man. Oh I could not believe it. Like, uh, that sounds really like an intense yeah. recruitment process. It is, yeah, but it's, it's still, it, there, there's still challenges there. You're only as good as your last gig yeah, kind of thing. I know. So, um, but I managed to stay on the horse for the most part anyway. And, um, are you there since then? 
there was a few pockets on the door. There was a few hiccups. Yeah. All right, uh, but and that 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 does inform your thinking. How long ago was that, John? Nineteen eighty-seven was when I I went in. That's but, thirty-four years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair play, mad, yeah, yeah. But um, but it has been a brilliant university. I heard Ned while ago for Pruncius Odin conducting the RT concert orchestra. I shared a dressing room with him. I went on tour with the orchestra, mm. worked with composers, interviewed Pavarotti. Um, the China, the Arctic Ocean, all these things. And it wasn't like that. I was looking for the juicy gigs, but, you know, filming with uh, loggerhead turtles in Florida. Mm. I just think like, there's been some great things have, have come up. Is like, there anybody, know? if I asked you, like, were you ever starstruck when you met, interviewed somebody or spoke to somebody? Is there anybody like that was so famous? And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to, I don't know. Um, or, uh, did you ever meet a hero of yours um, that stands out? Uh, gee, let me think. Uh, there's a good few years to go back on. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Do, do you know something? Funny thing is, it's and, and I mean, you probably realise this as well. It's not the celebs. Mm. It's the amazing people you meet. And that sounds very condescending now, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. But it's just leaning across a, a five-bar gate talking to a farmer who tells you some amazing story. Mm, you know? yeah. Or um, yeah. So in that regard, I've met some amazing people, but they're, most of them are, 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 are unknown. Yeah. It's like... Um, there was a it was a man I met last year. Um, I'm cynical enough about charities. I've I, I've been stung once or twice, mm. so I'll always walk around something when I'm asked. You know, um, you know. So, but I was asked by Trocra to go out, and I knew Kieran Gallagher, and he's a solid man. And I did my own check online and everything else yeah, <laughs> for any yeah. corruption or problems or anything. So I went out and. Um, out to Guatemala and as you know there's a huge problem in Central America with migration mm. as we have in Europe I mean it's been predicted for years mm. Sub-Saharan Africa it's, it's going to run dry those people have had their 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 homes looted for centuries mm. by the Northern Hemisphere and the same so as South America there's so much violence in Guatemala it's one of the worst places in the world to be a woman as well the, at the moment there's a documentary on YouTube but just women and girls just being murdered and not yeah. having the resources to, you know. Yeah, I, I'll tell you. What was it like I, when you I, were there? I, I met some amazing people that I have to say no. And because um, we went to Trokra, in fairness, they do brilliant work out there. And I saw it firsthand. Mm. And it's it's Mayans are employed out there by Trokra, mm. just as the native people. Many of them don't even speak Spanish. They, they speak Chechua. And um, so they, they reminded me of ourselves. And what my parents' people must have been like, um, small farmers, um, um, polite people, um, Catholics because of the Spanish conquistadors and all sure. that. Um, but really, they're still into their old pagan ways as we are, mm -hmm. into their pishogs and their stuff. And um, But lo lovely people have said, rock solid people, like people everywhere in the world, anywhere you go. Pick a tone, sound, yeah. right? Yeah. Everyone sound really behind it all. Yeah. So... Um, but, uh, but we were out there, like you mentioned, the women. Um, we went for like about 10 hours to say Guatemala City to Sepo Sarco. It's just, you know, chickens on the streets, bit, some barefoot kids. And um, and uh, the women of Sepo Sarco, there was a military barracks out there. What happened there, to give you the story in very simple terms, and this is repeated over and over and over and over again. It's our story as well. Yeah. Conquistadors, people move in. In their case, it was the Spanish and they they moved in, they uh, they they took over the place. The um, the natives were only treated as slaves or as workers. Um, eventually, the Spanish blood 
Guatemalans, in other words, the well-to-do in Guatemala, eventually said, why are we sending tax to Madrid? We want independence. So there was this move for independence, but only by the well-to-do. The mm. poor people didn't know where Madrid was or, or yeah. anything like it. So it became independent, but it was the same old regime. It was still mm. the biggest states. Mm. Bit by bit, the Americans and today, the Russians, the US, it's not even Americans, Russians, Israelis. It's multinationals. Before you were invaded by countries. Now oh, we're wow. invaded by business. And they want, they want your place. They'll get your place. And that's what's happened there. So I saw where they were, um, where they're mining for nickel there. And they're literally tearing down a mountain and flinging it into a lake. And they've poisoned all the fish. And I met this oh, fellow yeah. called Abelino Chubb, Cal. I met him in prison. I was, we got permission through the United Nations, um, 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 human rights office. They managed to get us uh, in to a high security prison in Guatemala City. No, not a, I know you've been, no, you, you have a good idea what this is like, but it was like, it was dog rough, dog mm-hmm. rough. There were queues of people trying to get in to see their family and uh, it was heavy weaponry everywhere. Um, they had all, all the gangs inside in one pen inside in the yard. Um, and it was like, good morning, gringo. I was getting this through the wire, mm-hmm. right? And uh, what you call it. And then they had political prisoners and all this. So your mum was brought up to meet us under armed guard, small man. Um, he educated himself, uh, a fella in his 30s, and he was four years behind bars without a hearing for trespass. He led a protest by peasants from a village onto mm-hmm. a fruit plantation run by an American company, and he was done for trespass and for agitation or whatever it was. And I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there, I feel like a real imposter syndrome. Yeah, what what yeah. am I doing here? So I have very poor Spanish, but the best I could, I explained to him through an, an interpreter because he did speak Spanish. So it was only one way interpretation. Whereas with, 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 with the natives, you need someone to translate into Spanish and different Spanish into oh, Czech. I see. So I was saying to him, look, I said, when I get back to Ireland, I said, I'll make sure people in Ireland hear your story anyway. And I'm terribly sorry. It's like this. And, and how are you doing? And just chin wagging. But I still felt like a fraud. Mm. I'm going out there in a minute, get the flight back to Ireland, you know, and, so anyway, but he was a beautiful man and we had a great chin wag. And uh, when I was leaving, I gave him a hug anyway, and I gave him my best Spanish. I mean, stay as strong as you can. And hopefully yeah. this will pass too, you know, and they let him off. And I was brought out back through the yards again and doors, you know, the sound of two doors closing behind you, right? And out onto the street. And I, I, I kind of, I thought to myself, like, I'll probably never see that man again. Like, you know, um, I was, ups- I was quite upset about it, really. And I just kind of, um, but the weird thing was, about seven or eight months later, I'm in a hotel in Offaly. We're filming a new TV series and I get a text from Trokera. Three Supreme Court judges have released him and cleared him of all charges. He's a free man. Mm-hmm. And the next thing was, he was coming to Ireland to receive the Oscar Romero Award. Bishop Oscar Romero was a brilliant man in San Salvador, El Salvador. And he's getting the award for human rights activism. And I'm presenting it to him. So within 10 months of that prison gate closing, I was drinking coffee in the heel co-op with him. (laughs) That's unreal. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But you know something about that, that like, like he's a man who impressed me. He's a a great man. Um, And, but what impressed me about, I'm sorry, but the thing about that is anything is is possible Mm -hmm. when the odds look stacked hugely against you. Do the next best thing you can do. Just try and do the next thing. There's another lesson in it always. Treat people nice when they're at their loss because you never know when you meet them again when they're coming up. Do you know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah. But yeah. there's something uh, you said there about you know the, the pillaging of the land. Um, 
I sent John the documentary, but uh, it's called Banana Land and people would enjoy it. Banana Land is about um, United Fruit from the United States, big fruit company going into Colombia. That's exactly moving where the locals, mm. Moving the locals off the land, farming the shit out of it for bananas and moving on. And FARC guerrilla rebels um, arming the farmers to fight against the guerrilla, the United Fruit, who are armed by the government. But yeah. it's this whole war around the banana. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, do you know something now? Um, it was the same company. It was in Guatemala, was United Fruit as well. Yeah. And what happened was, when Guatemala got its independence, it was still the same overlords. It was still the Spanish stock, well-to-do Guatemalans were running the show. There was a popular revolution because they said, how come we're getting a penny a day for packing the bananas and the guys up in Florida are getting $2 a day? Mm. Oh, they, they tried to agitate for some rights straight away. So it makes a call to the White House. They're talking commie here now as well. Yeah. So all of a sudden there was an American-backed uh, counter-revolution and the whole thing was suppressed. Mm. They had about seven or eight years or 10 years of independence. They had two presidents, two worlds, and, and, and they had opened a few schools and a few clinics and they were trying to get the thing going. But it was written off as being communists again, right? Mm. But the weird thing was that um, when you talked about that there, how the people get squashed in the middle. I was out in Malawi in Central Africa way back as well. And again, I'm looking at people my own age. It's one of the most poorest countries in the it world. It is, then. yeah. It was the third, most, yeah, third poorest country in the world. And uh, it was then anyway. And to see men, like grown men like myself, um, you know, with polio and, and the AIDS orphans, they were like mm. tumbleweed. They, they find each other. when, And they're very good people. Like uncles and aunts would take kids in, even when they can't afford to feed them. Like the famine in Ireland. Yeah. I came back and I bawled for a day yeah. um, afterwards because because uh, they are real people. It's Tuesday mm. and they're sitting down to die. Or, you know, it's like it's... So when you come back from Malawi and Guatemala and places like that and come back to mm. Patrick's Hill and does mm. it give you a, like, are you depressed at the privilege that we have here? Or does it give you a gratitude for what we have? Or how do you compartmentalise it mm. and kind of move on from it? Well, for me personally, um, gratitude, the older I'm getting, the more grateful I am, mm. you know, because there's no guarantees in life. And like, even with my parents, like life is a lottery. You don't get to pick your parents, as you know, and mm. I, I, my numbers came up there. At least I got two gentle parents, you know, so there's no, there's no prize for that. Life is a lotto. Yeah. And I've landed back in my hometown doing what I love doing. And um, so I'm not smug about it. I hate smugness. I hate mm. people. Going, oh, well, he's doing great now. And mm. a request there now for my daughter who got a, 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 a you know, a first class honours. Right, yeah. that can all be taken like that. Yeah. All you need is a quick invasion and all of a sudden you're prison number 6543, you're not anybody, you I know. know. Anyway, I so know. so like, I'd be mindful of that, particularly when you see it up close like that. But but in Malawi, um, the neighbouring country, Tanzania, was Tanganyika and it was run by the Brits. They were there for years. And when it got independence, Julius Nyeri, who only died a few years ago, was their first president. And I think this is brilliant. I remember reading a little book that he had written. But when he got independence, it was a like, really poor country, barefoot poor country. The Yanks came calling and they said, listen, we can secure your country for you. We can put in a base there and we'll develop an airport. We'll have a Ford plant and a Coca-Cola plant and we'll boost your economy and all we want is landing rights there in, in mm -hmm. your." And uh, he said, I'll consider it. And the Russians came as well. And the Russians said, listen, we'll develop the airport for you and we put in Aeroflot regular flights to Europe for you and mm. we'll have a uh, ladder or whatever it is mm. we'll be making and develop and he considered both and uh, they rejected both and when he was asked he said how can you he says reject he says those offers he said when your people are so poor and he said yes he said my people are poor but my people also say when two elephants go to war 
it's the grass gets trampled. Mm. And it's that's it. True. That's exactly what happens in places like Guatemala or in West Belfast or mm. East Belfast or anywhere else. Even um, we're talking about the South American link with the United States and that. Do you ever come across the priests in Argentina when the so Argentina had a kind of a left wing government? There was a lot of Jesuit priests over there, but some of them were Irish. And I'm sure someone at home was from Cork, but they were murdered by the government and American backed right wing dictatorships. You know, there was a coup. Yeah, there was a lot of um, Irish Jesuit priests over there. Funny enough, my first cousin was actually a priest in Honduras and he, would, and he would have been a revolutionary theologist as well. And Rome was getting a bit fed up because the, the priests were going, not quite native, but they were seeing the injustice. And they were saying, mm. surely if my mission is to mi- administer to these people and they're being beaten up by, like even, even in Guatemala, like I was in like a t- the town of Coban and I saw two military trucks coming in when the military arrive in, everybody just turns away and does something else, you know? Mm. And that's still there. They were very frightened people. Um, I was talking there about Sepo Sarko and about the women. Yeah. These were women who were brought in supposedly as cleaners to the barracks and were physically like and sexually abused. Mm. And through the support of Trokra, who also ran classes for the men, you know, there was a lot of shame about what had happened, mm. got them up on their hind legs and it took them seven years and they were brought by bus. Troker paid for some of the hotel rooms. There was some other charity paid for the lawyers. It mm. took seven years, seven years. And they got that, those two officers into the dock and they won their case. Cool. And they wore veils. They would never appear in public until they won their case. And I met them. There's only five of them left. They're all ladies now. And oh man, weak in the presence of beauty. They were just the most like beautiful people, you know. Mm. I, I said to one of them, I said to her, look, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm asking you about this, this, this time again. You yeah. know, I said, everybody probably asks you about that time instead of how are the chickens or how are your grandchildren. Know, and she was saying, no, no, she was saying, you're a good man. She, she was, and this was going, this was going two ways. It was going from Chechua to Spanish and Spanish back into English. And, um, but they were just like, they had found their confidence. Yeah. And the day we were there, there was a mass and there was a kind of a, not a fiesta now, but there was a celebration of the anniversary. They had won their case two years previously and the whole village. I found that very emotional, to be honest with you, like all the men yeah. were marching with them as well, yeah. up on their hind legs. Mm. You know, we're not taking it anymore. And, and, and the way we beat them was education. People helped us. Mm. People helped us, to, to, you know, to to recover ourselves. And with, with a bit of legal expertise and stuff, we took them on and we won the case. And now what they're scared about out there is an amnesty for all the military. Um, mm. you no know, accountability then? No accountability. And, um, you know, like, Jesus, so as you say, do I feel grateful? I feel hugely grateful. And when I hear people whinging about, I don't want to wear a mask in this place or I don't want to yeah. do that or why can't I park here? I'm thinking, there's people dying of hunger today someplace else. Like, yeah. come on. Come yeah, on, lads. And there's people in countries where they don't have access to masks or vaccines, the mind boosters, you know? Yeah. So we're very privileged in that sense. Um, what was the conditions like in that Guatemalan prison? And is that is that the only prison you've been in? Or have you been in prisons around the world? No, no I've been. Uh, no, no, I haven't done. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, and I've always been coming out on the same day. So you know. Um, but uh, I, I I've done a few things in Overstown and places and Trinity House for the young offenders. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, that was an eye opener anyway. Um, what was it like? Well, I I remember like what's Trinity House. Um, out, it's in North County Dublin. It was Father Peter Lavelle was looking after it, but he had me out there and um, 
And I realized actually I saw in the front row, like some of the parents were in very bad shape. Mm. And I was thinking, how could these 16 year olds be they're, doing anything? They have a chance. Like. But the mom and dad is, and you can't blame the parents either. The parents are the way they are because the way they are. And there's there's no blame. There's, no. there's a quote on the wall there from Dr. Gabor Matthews, don't be side Ron. I saw your interview with him. But it's, he, he basically said that it's not, there's nobody to blame. Mm. It's like intergenerational and it's passed on and you can't go blaming your mom because mm. yeah. she have a story and you can't go blaming your granny because she have a story. And but you know, but so there's nobody to blame and mm. it's just, but at the same time, we have to kind of take talk responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? And, we, can and we have to talk about it as well. Yeah. Because by talking about it, the, the, the next person down the line who's maybe after having similar mm. experiences can learn. That but, there is a way out of it. But you know something, like, that, you know I've been a fan of years from the beginning. Yeah. Someone tipped me off and and I got on board there with your podcast from the very beginning. And I just thought, like, and you laugh now when you hear this, but when I was saying earlier on that I think that the world pilgrims, everyone's trying to get to a place where it's better, where it doesn't hurt. Um, I honestly would say that the work you're doing, and it's not to give you big heads or anything, yeah. it's holy work. You're going out to the edge. It's, like, it's all in the Bible about, you know, the prodigal son, about no matter what people have done, there's redemption there for anybody. Yeah. Anybody can come back in. And that's true of addiction. I know some people don't get that amazing grace, that that moment mm-hmm. when they, they, they can, you know, whether it's a case of yeah. saying, like, help, my ego has collapsed. I, yeah. I just need, but to do what you're doing. And I'm, again, I'm not blowing your trumpet, but I just think it's so valuable because not everybody will go to counselling, uh, but somebody in bed or in the doorway, might look at it and say, Jesus, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I think that's hugely important for people mm-hmm. to realize no matter what you've done, it can be sorted, you know, yeah. and no matter what you've done, it's okay. We've all messed up. Everyone has messed up. And so that's really why I think like what you're doing is so, so, so valuable. Um, I, I've lost a lot of like good friends, um, people I've loved a lot to mental health issues, addiction, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it breaks your heart. And as you get older, you realize it's not good for me or them to continue this merry-go-round or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I said goodbye to friends and I haven't seen them since. But there's three or four that have come back in mm. through NA, AA, like out of the blue. It's a bit like the prodigal son story. I remember getting a letter once in Dublin from a friend of mine who I hadn't seen for about five years. He said, um, just to let you know um, that um I'm on a 12-step program and I'm at the step now where I try and make amends with people I might have hurt along the way. And I know I was ratty towards you and everything else and you didn't deserve any of that and I'm fear sorry. And uh, mm. and there's no pressure on you. This is part of my own um, recovery. Yeah. He said, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm really sorry about all of that. It's me. <laughs> and so the point is. He's, he's back. The oh, true self is oh, back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I, I don't know. But, but I've, I've heard like that when you're battling addiction, particularly that like you can't relax. You, you've got to kind of. The conscience. Is you, you, you've got to stay awake. Yeah. got to stay awake. The conscience still. of the actions whilst an addiction mm, yeah. and people in your heart is there. But the apology wasn't important. Like that didn't matter it, because. It never is. No, it's not. No, no. It's, but it's what was just it? seeing someone doing so well is the important yeah. factor. Do you have that from your father though? Yeah. Your father knew like when that person robbed from him. I yeah. came back the same night, not realizing. Yeah. It wasn't personal. He knows that he's in a bad situation. Yeah. And if that person was in his right mind, he wouldn't dream of doing that. So there was never any resentment held. And I think you have that as well. Yeah. And, and you know something now that sounds like I'm holy God. But know, the but truth is, I, I don't have any um, difficulties with forgiveness. I, I get fed up with people and I whinge about people and I talk about people and I don't want to see him again and this and that and the other. But deep down, I know he is the way he is because that's the way he is. 
<laughs> That's yeah. And it's like, there's a beautiful, um, there's an old Buddhist, I, I love a lot of the old Buddhist maxims, and there's a lovely one about um, about this frog who's trying to cross a river, but it's a swollen river and there's a fierce flood. Mm. And a fox says to him, hey, do you want to lift across? Fox says, go away. <laughs> the frog says, not a hope. You're a fox, you leave me. I won't eat you. If you want to lift, now get on my back and then go on now. And, but you leave me. I won't eat you. Go on, so, so the frog gets up and he's back. And halfway across the river, the fox turns back and grabs him in his mouth. And the frog said, but you told me you wouldn't eat me. I know, he said, but I'm a fox. <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story is, are you going to blame him because he's a fox? Because if that's the case, we should go out there and we should get every single tiger in India and kill him. Mm. Because they kill baby deers, like. Mm. So yeah. if, if there wasn't people breaking and entering, there wouldn't be any guards. Yeah. If there wasn't any, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like all this terrible stuff makes the world go around. And I'm not kind of making light now of people yeah. getting hurt and I've been hurt myself. But yeah. but um, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, even like... There's cross yeah. people out there. There's cross animals out there. What can you do? Yeah, that's yeah. a very uh, spark in my sociology, my sociology mind, but it's a very functionalist perspective. A functionalism is like the world is an organism and every part of it has a function that makes the organism work. Yeah. But it can be used by um, certain politicians to kind of excuse stuff. Or something that's, that sticks out is um, Michael McDool was the Minister for Justice yeah. in back in the day, I know when they were in power, Mary Harney and all that. And uh, they rant him about um, inequality. And he says, sure, any, there's a certain level of deprivation is normal in any society. Well, that's grand for him to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So we have to be careful with that. But it, it is a good point like that. Do you know, everything does have its part. And a functionalist perspective on crime as well would be like, the people that commit crime, they're there to show us how not to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, that's how you're not supposed to act. Do you know what I mean? You know, you've touched something there now mm. for me as well. I just feel from, my, again, my perspective, I think a lot of men are going through a tough time at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no doubt. Men do a lot of bad stuff. Um, I saw I saw a man being taken out of the river just three days ago. And right. I was as I was coming back from work, um, boys are finding it tough going. And sometimes maybe the male perspective needs to be heard as well. Mm. So when you take something like, say, young fellas acting the goal outside nightclubs or baiting each other or whatever it is, again, this is just my my understanding is adolescent males of virtually all species have a hop off each other. It's what they do. They play yeah. war games. It's yeah. testosterone. Yeah. Um, and maybe it is part of that bigger yeah. organism that is the world. Yeah, I know. I'm like, there's stuff now like um, no, the, the glass ceiling in terms of inequality for yeah. women's rights and pain, all these things, mm. they're all very valid causes and, yeah. and, and feminism and all that. But the, like in terms of the men, like most people in homeless services are men. Most people in prisons are men. Yeah. In treatment centres, men. Suicides, men. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There so is, like there's a lot of men not doing well. And yeah. the thing about it is that's coming from the perspective, as I said, from baby John. I have eight sisters. I have four daughters. Mm. I have six granddaughters. I've been blessed amongst women. I walked out of pubs that wouldn't serve women points. I went on protest marches for women's rights. All I'm simply saying is that we need to have a look at the men as well, not tell them what to do or tell them that they need to get in touch with their feminine side. Maybe they need to get in touch with their Aaron John as well. And and as you say, like I think, that, you know, a lot of men are not doing well at the moment. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's another thing too, and I think it's a bit of a cliche that men don't talk about their feelings. Every locker room I'm in, there's people talking about their feelings. All my mm-hmm. life, I go for a walk with a buddy and we're chatting about this and that. Yeah, and I watch you yeah. make of that and, and, uh, and I'm worried about this. And It is I, changing though, it, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it is I, changing. But, but yeah. I think, I think yeah. yeah, and a lot of the men I know are 
good with no maybe it's just the men I know but yeah. uh, but even at a certain level even in Turner's Cross or something I often think to myself look men are expressing their feelings there there's the lap of honour mm. there's the minute silence and you better observe it yeah, this is what yeah, we do yeah. to say yeah. respect to this guy's dad you know um, so even mm. even through that tribal thing mm. men do have ways of expressing mm. you know when I'm at a Cork City match and I was a, I'm a Pats fan you know, that's uh, a we all over across yeah, the county, I suppose, yeah, yeah. But like, I was at the FAI <laughs> Cup final, and uh, which we beat Derry City on penalties, not Derry City, no, we no, we beat Bowes yeah. on penalties. But uh, I'm kind of a quiet, kind of a resolved kind of a guy in general. But normally, I'm in out in Turner's Cross if I'm yeah. watching Pats or anything like that, yeah. be animated, be screaming and shouting, and then yeah. the match is over, you go home, and then that's it. Then you know, until yeah. the next Friday night, you yeah. know, but it's just it gives you a release, doesn't it? Yeah, and it it's, does, it's yeah. like it's an appropriate space where you could scream and roar and show somebody on. But do you know something yeah. about that as well? Like, I have to say, the behaviour of an awful lot of English football fans is like, I, not just English football fans, but let's put it this way, misbehaving football fans is pathetic. It's mm. pathetic. It's a group. It's a sure S- sign of cowardice. Small element to that in Cork City If you're wrong with a crowd, it's a sure mm-hmm. sign of cowardice. I remember a fella giving abuse one time to one of the bakers, Richie Baker, and uh, his, yeah, he was on Desi. the right wing. And Desi. Yeah. He would, they, were on, they were both wingers, right? And when it came to the second half, he'd been abusing one for the first half. Your mother, your little... It was awful, like what he was saying to him. And your mum was only four fifth feet yeah, away from him, yeah. right? And he, he kept at it. And the second half then... We had Desi Baker for the first half. He said, we have Richie Baker for the second half to put up with you for the second half. And I said, and we're all putting up with you for the whole 90 minutes. Mm. I said to him, I said, it's a well-known fact that men who showed abuse of football matches are small willies. Shut them up. But the thing is, like, I, 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 I can't stand that. That's no. running the pack all this. I hate yeah. that thing, right? But, um, but I do think it's, uh, it, it is a form of expression. Yeah. It is a form of expression and, and to belong. To a tribe is probably very important. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know, um, a few years ago, yeah, Pats were down uh, Turner's Cross and up in the away section in Turner's Cross. Uh, and I'd be very proud now out watching City, you know, because yeah. we've, we've great following. The shed is brilliant, the atmosphere. Yeah. We're probably, you know, the only club in the city. And But um, it was a shame that night after the game. I think City won. But in the Pats section, there was a lot of families and kids and stuff. But their windows and their bus was destroyed at the back, you know, where the, the away sport was bus. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually no need for it. No. Do you know what I mean? There are only families coming down for the night. Out, do you know? But you know the bottom line? You know and I know. Max, 12 people were involved. Oh, that's that. Max, 12, probably four. But the, the victory is gone yeah, yeah. in that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because that's what's on the headlines. That's what's on Twitter. Bit, and that's what's retweeted. But you didn't witness the carry-on up in, uh, before the cup final, no? And again, no, but the, a dozen fellas purporting to be Bose fans yeah. with hoodies like, let's pretend we're Italian and chase people. Stop I know, it's it. ridiculous. And you know who's in that pub? Pat, families. The families, I saw that's the where the family. flying yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's yeah, fucking desperate. ridiculous. But I remember a few, uh, a couple of years ago, City were playing away to Derry. Yeah. And there was fucking murder up there and there was fellas running in homes and they'd be oh, shepherded. Yeah, were you with that? No, I wasn't oh, at yeah, that, but yeah. I, I, one, of, one or two of my friends were. But again, they went up there to watch the game, but a handful went up there for trouble and then nearly all fell in for it then, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but do, do you know something? Um, like another one, my guru, my old man. No, no, he was he was a wise old dude. I tell you, a lovely one actually. About him. I was up in Daily Mount Park with a month. He only discovered the League of Ireland through me. Really, he was a bus driver and he was kept going all the time. And um, so, but it was only in his old age, really, that he yeah. started going to matches with me. He went to Switzerland as well. We went to a few uh, away games with Cork City. Oh, yeah, and I t- tell you what, those players handle themselves like gentlemen. Mm. They always carry his bag for him. Or Mr. Creed and Hawaii, they yeah. were so good to him. But um, I remember um, one day being above in Dalier and we were getting a very 
raw deal from the ref, right? And there were several, like, justified calls for penalties and freeze and everything else. And the city crowd were all booing him like mad. And the old man tapped me on the shoulder and, I, and he said, don't ever boo another human being. I thought, that's one of the best bits of advice uh, I ever got. Don't ever boo another human being. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a person on the receiving end of it. I know. Because you, you know can look I mean? at it in, in different forms of context as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he's saying like, is don't be critical of someone, don't be judgmental yeah, as someone, yeah. you know. My old man developed a great role for Cork City and for Patsy Frayne in particular. Yeah. He was a great hero of, uh, for, for my dad, Patsy. Yeah. And, 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 and equally, Patsy loved my dad. Yeah. And... Um, but one day I was inside and worked doing the breakfast show on Radio 1 and there was a brilliant photograph in the examiner taken by Dennis Minahan, I think, of Patsy Frayne coming off the pitch with about 10 minutes to go and he's spattered in mud and Jerry Harris, the late Jerry Harris has helped him into his tracksuit. He's one arm and the tracksuit will be still watching the match and he already has a king size cigarette lit and he's watching the game. He's like, he fell out of the psalm. He's like, he fell out of the trenches, right? And he's putting on the thing and I cut it out and sent it to my dad and said... Um, I said, spit in the back of that and stick it up over a nightlight. I said, your hero, Patsy Frayne, right? Mm-hmm. So I sent, it off, sent, that, sent them off the picture in the post, out to Bray. So I thought no more about it. But a year later, anyway, Cork City win the cup. And we're inside in the Burlington after the match. And my dad is sitting there anyway, having his glasses stout and everything. It's delighted that they won the cup and that no one got hurt. It was a great old day and everything <laughs> else. And the next thing is, Patsy Frayne arrived on with the suit, like after. And Jesus, uh, Patsy, congratulations. Like, Mr. Creighton, how are you? Do mind you, Mr. Creighton? Connie Pa, how are you? Right, so they were chatting away mad. And he was saying, Patsy, he said, you were brilliant. Uh, he said, uh, we, did, we did our best. Anyway, he said, you were brilliant. He said, and Patsy, he said, you know, I'm a religious man. Oh, yeah, yeah, Connie, because Patsy, in fairness, as I believe it, as I understand it, I was with him in Jerusalem as well. Yeah. Patsy has a great interest in those things in the spirit, spiritual world. But um, my dad said to him, uh, you know, he said, I have great devotion. He said to uh, Padre Pio, he took out his wallet and there was a picture of Padre Pio. He says, his mother and myself, Padre Pio was our number one man. Anytime one of them was sick or anything, we'd always pay to Padre Pio. Mm. Turns over to the next page. St. Teresa of the Little Flower, he says, my dad, he said, my brother John, um, he said, we always had great devotion to her. He says, turn over the next page. There's the picture of Patsy with the fag. And he goes, and there's the greatest of them all, St. Patrick of the Fintler Tip. <laughs> <laughs> and Patsy went, well, and Jesus, Connie, that's a sin. You can't, you can't be doing that. It's <laughs> like this prayer book, a picture. But he had set that up. He, had, uh, like, he knew that eventually I'll get to see him. Yeah. And I told him that, you know, you, you know what a fella told yeah, me recently? Brilliant. You know what a fella told me recently? He said, there was 12 kids now in my house and my parents were generous to a fault. There was a couple of aunts live with us and anybody who needed a place to stay. As my old man would always say, there's always room for one more. Mm. But I remember uh, a fella who was working in CIE in the buses said to me recently, he said, your old man, he said, he was a beauty, he says. And your mother, he's always across town to have a look at your mother, he said. But he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, your dad was a beauty. He said, um, he was some character. He said, I remember being in here. He said, in Capwell, he said, Christmas week. He said, two or three days before Christmas. And your dad came into the weigh room. He said, it's where we put in the tickets and the cash into the cashier and through the hatch. And he said, over in the wall, just like there now, he said, there's pigeon, there's pigeon holes, he says. And every driver had his own pigeon hole. So a bunch of keys could be left yeah. there from on a message or whatever. So we were all chatting away, Matt. He said, and the next thing was your dad went over and he said, uh, there was three cards or letters inside and thing. So when we were chatting, he's opening them, right? And the first one had a pound note inside in it. And it said, Dear Connie, thanks so much for stopping between the stops for me. I hope I didn't get you fired. Best wishes, Mrs. O'Sullivan, or whatever it was. And the yeah. pound inside in it. Second one, ten chilling note inside in it. Uh, young Barry, 
uh, tis on Mr. Creedon said this Mr. Creedon said that uh, he's mad about you God bless you and have a great 1973 yeah. or whatever it was and uh, the third one again another thank you note and happy Christmas to you and your big family a pound note and signing it again and the lads were telling me, your mum was telling me, he said, we were looking at your dad, like, and he was saying, aren't people great? Mm. He said, all we're doing is our job, he said. And and they go to this trouble for us, like, and he said, he rolled up the money and put it to his top pocket and wished us happy Christmas and left. We were saying, how does he get it? Like, he's some charmer. How does mm. he get away with that? Like, people are mad about him. He said, your dad waited until April before he told us. He sent the three cards to himself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, and there I am struggling with my with my sums, and instead of helping me, my dad is outside in the shop sending <laughs> cards to himself. He just set it up as a stunt. He's trying to teach the rest of the boys well, what I, to do the right thing. Well, that's, that's what he's trying to do. That, that's what. Can you imagine going to yeah. that trouble? Yeah, going to that trouble of two pound notes, intentionally note stamps, yeah, and I posting know. them. When he had 12 kids and enough to be doing. And making like, up the names and, as well. And, and then letting it sit. Let it but sit. But he was, you know, the thing with the, the Patsy and the wallet, knowing like that eventually the yeah. day will come. Yeah. And oh, that way. Oh, the long happy game. happy to play the long game, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, he was man. a good car player too, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. What's life like now, John? So you're on the radio. Yeah. And you gave us a shout out to the night. Thanks a million. Oh, I did, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, you play as a nice mix, don't you? Yeah, I do, yeah. A bit of everything. I'm, like. Like, like, you know what? Um, genuinely, I'm really grateful. And I know that sounds kind of condescending, but I'm really very lucky. I don't um, I don't look after myself probably as well as I should, but I'm still working every morning. I'm, I'm yeah. awake and I'm trading away. Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing stuff I love doing. Like, I have a great grow for, I love being Irish. I love being from Cork. An interesting thing actually about the Cork thing is, because it goes on all the time, sometimes I get a bit tired of the, um, the Cork thing because, um, because everybody loves their home place. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes like, or I, I get slagged off over it. You know, where you're from? I'm from Leash. Oh, very good. I'm from Galway. How are the footballers this year? I'm from Cork. Oh, he's from Cork. And, and the thing about it is, it's a running gag. Mm. It's, it's not that we genuinely think we are superior. Um, we know it. Some people probably do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, like, you know, we go to Paris too. We've got multi-channel now as well. So it's yeah. not that we're that inward looking. But no. you know what I think it goes, boils down to? We're like Texans. It's the biggest county in the, it's the biggest state in the union, right? Yeah. And for hundreds of years, like the Cork Constitution and the Cork Examiner are going for hundreds of years. We've had our own daily newspaper. Yeah. So it's always like English, you know, or Dublin train crash, one Cork man dies or whatever. <laughs> it's always, or yeah. I saw a brilliant headline once. What was it? Um, it was a, an accident in, um, in, uh, in England on the underground. And the headline in the Evening Herald was, uh, English train kills Irish man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So, so it depends on how you see things. Very ethnocentric. Yeah, headline. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I mean, I love being from Cork. I love being able to trade from my hometown. But if I was from Sligo and I was abroad, I'm sure when I'd see Ben Baldwin for the first time, and I do understand how it feels for a dub when they're up there on the hill and they see the boys in blue coming out. It's not my tribe, mm. but I understand. You, got, you know, so. So I think it's probably traveling is good like that. And you wrote a book on all this, didn't you? Oh, I, I wrote a, yeah, I did. Um, Recent enough book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, place it, called home. That it? place we call home. That, 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 that place called home. Yeah. What's it called? That place we, I haven't read it yet, but I heard it's called. <laughs> no, uh, that place we call home. And really it's about place names. It's about love of place. And mm-hmm. um, even like it's things people probably don't stop and think about, like Ireland. Where did the name come from? Why are we called mm-hmm. Ireland? 
Uh, cork is very simple. It's mm. Corkig Moor Moon. It means the big marsh of Munster. That's Loch, what it was. Lochnehini is Knuckahina. Yeah. Hill and Friday. Yeah. I've read that translation, but I sometimes think it's Knuckahina, that it's the hill of the birds, like for hunting the rain. But I could be wrong. I've seen it given, as you said, yeah. Ard Cullen, where we're from, Ard on Quillen. Which yeah. is Holly, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And Holly Hill is the, the region then. Of course. See, uh, it all uh, but even Churchfield, it makes sense. I expect that's yeah. the field. Yeah, that was the Chapel to. Field. Goran the Broher is Goran. Well, no, um, some people think it's Garon, meaning a shortcut, but it's not. It's Goran as in um, a, a grove, a small wooded area. Mm. Namraher of the brothers. Mm. So that obviously Jeez. there was a monastery there. So What's still Farnry is. then? Farn is a, is a territory or a land unre of the king. Oh, so there was good. obviously some mini king living over there in that hump. Yeah. And, um, but all of those places, like, and it tells you an awful lot about, <laughs> uh, for me, the place becomes 3D. You walk to a town, for me, it becomes 3D now because, mm. you know, when you start to know where you're from. And you know what I often think too, like even in terms of youngsters, like something I'd love to do, not now because I'm too busy and all that, but in my old age, I'd love to live long enough to go around and give talks to primary schools, to kids, mm. to say, being from Cork is brilliant. Do you know why? And tell them. Mm. So that if you get a sense of place, if you love your place, if you love your horrors, you won't disrespect people. If a tourist asks you, where's Shandon? I'll go up that way, I'll bring you, you know? Yeah. And rather than, you're less likely to put graffiti on the North Cathedral if you're proud of where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and also, I think, again, for your mental health, I think if you have a sense of place, as I said to you, when I came back from boarding school and stood there with the Cork Hibs boot boys, I wasn't a tough rooting, tooting, fighting guy at all, but I was with my tribe. Mm. And they were from my part of town. And um, so there was, so a sense of place is a very important thing. So you can see how, say, being um, uh, particularly at the moment, say, with asylum seekers and so on, it can be very difficult to be in somebody else's place. I know. And so that's why I would say, like, come home, you know, like to try and, I don't mean come home to Cork. I mean, for anybody to 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 get a sense of place. Yeah. And um, I used to, sure, Jesus, I used to go to all the... Uh, the African bars when they arrived first. Oh, I'd be yeah. in there like, you know, the going saying, what are you doing here? And I was like, no, and like, I, I, yeah, and I'd have some great chats like that. Or, or you know yourself, you'll always meet a taxi driver where you're from, Lithuania. All right. Mm-hmm. Do people get confused with Lithuania and Latvia? All the time. Yeah, yeah you know. Uh, and, you know, so mm-hmm. just, just to integrate people, I think if people buy into a place, if you buy into a place, if you start to love a place, you're not going to mess it up. You're going to represent it as well as you can. Yeah. And also for your own mental health, just to know that I belong. These are my people. And yeah. that if I fall, I, I came across this beautiful thing. I almost have it off by heart. It was a, it's a history of Cork written in 1816. So it's pre-famine. Mm. And that's when the McCarthy's and the Driscoll's and all them moved into the north side of Cork. A lot of them were from, from the countryside who, who, who moved in because it was just terrible times. But he wrote this history of Cork and it's about from ancient times all the way through the Vikings and everything else. But his last chapter, I felt like the guy was talking to me. His last chapter, he summarized, he said, he said, I've laid out before you on these pages, those who have walked this stage before us, the Viking, the Norman, the Raiders of the Sea, Spencer, um, the Cromwellians, the cruel penal times. All those people have now left the stage what would they say to us? Uh, what would those spectral lips say to us? Could mm. they speak? Methinks they would say peace. Let no Protestant assume ascendancy over any Catholic in Cork. It was a bad idea. It failed. It was bound to fail. Let no Catholic 
assume ascendancy over his Protestant neighbor. Mm. That too was a bad idea. That too failed. That too deserved to fail. Instead, he said, uh, he said, go forward, he said, uh, in commerce, in the arts, he said, for the glory of your native city, he said. Uh, he said, let your only competition be that if a Cartman falls, which one of us will be forced to reach him? And above all else, obey the primal precept, love one another. It's beautiful. And I thought, man, oh man. Who's the, what's uh, the book? Charles McCarthy. I don't know if it's available. It was a book that my old man gave me with a couple of yeah. old books. But um, I guarantee you somebody who's bound to have a copy or a yeah. link or something or a yeah. PDF version. But, um, but that was brilliant. Uh, but, uh, but like the thing about it is like all truth, I think anyway, is universal and it's timeless. In other words, that's why when you hear some of the stuff that Jesus said, you'd have to say... You can't land a punch on that. No, and you if know, you think like, of all, <laughs> all the countries that you've been through and all the cultures that you've been, we all follow similar principles. We were, were born, we yeah. celebrate birthdays, marriages, mm. deaths. You know, we have aunties, cousins and uncles. And yeah. that's, that, that's the, the core of like anthropology. Like we're, we're more similar than we are different. Absolutely. I mean? And I think all, even all the great religions, they're all pointing ballpark the same direction. Yeah. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. John, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah sorry I'm sorry for that. Buildings. They don't seem which one of them would date it back that far. Well, like when you're talking about pride of place, mm. like our logo is our yeah. reservoir, not Nanny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It should be a way to tweak that. We've got Shandon on the wall, and we've got all the buildings in we've Cork City on the wall here. Yeah. The city hall. It's a great space. Yeah. yeah. But the work you're doing, I think, lads, I just think it's so, like, I, I think it's so valuable. You don't know who you touch yeah. or, or who's ready to hear that line now yeah. or there's things I've heard in my life that didn't make sense and then another day they did yeah. or like I find myself like I, I'm not a, a, a great reader I don't read any fiction at all neither at all, do I um, all my reading is about gathering information and learning something you yeah know? yeah the same here and and but but I find like that um, and it's not that I'm a holy joe the opposite um, I'm not a practicing anything but I do uh, I'm, I'm curious about where we go when we die what's it all about what's mm. the big you know what's the yeah. and and again that's one of the things I've found I've looked, dipped into Hindu scripture into um, like things like the Bhagavad Gita um, what you call it Buddhist scripture Christian scripture and they're all pointing pretty much the same, same. direction and um, so like or like there's some people like Khalil Gibran, did you ever come across this guy? He was a Lebanese philosopher and poet. His own life was fairly tragic in ways. But like when, when we talk about the Cork thing and about being from Cork, and all, um, one of the reasons I, 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 I can relate to what he said in a poem that got him into the height of trouble uh, in the Islamic world. He was an Islamic um, uh, man from Lebanon. But he said, um, he said, I love my family, but not as much as I love my village. I love my village, but not as much as I love my province. I love my province, but not as much as I love all of Lebanon. And people are with him all the yeah. way. I love all of Lebanon, but not as much as I love all of the Middle East. I love all of the Middle East, but not as much as I love the entire world. Hold on a while, or you're going to be too far there now, mm. right? And that's the point I'm making, is that, um, like, it, you know, love is expensive. It's not about, um, oh, I love my kids. I want my kids to do good in their leaving cert. That's not love at all. That's preference. And it's no good to you if yeah. all the other kids aren't doing well because yeah. it takes a village, as yeah. they say. But even apart from that, but it's not love. Yeah. Don't be fooling yourself. That's preference. Yeah, that's true. To want every kid to do well. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's possibly love. Yeah. But, um, you know, or, you know, I love Cork, but I hate Tipperary. I know. <laughs> that's not love at all. Know, uh, yeah. So like, that, was, that was one of the things he said. In, 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 in that, but the book, The Prophet, 
Jesus, that's a, a beautiful, small little book. And it's about this holy man who was leaving this city where he was brought wisdom and peace and tranquility and harmony. People are, and they're all heartbroken because he's leaving, but he has to go on with his mission and he's waiting for the high tide to head off. And mm. like, so before he leaves, they're all gathered on the key wall and they're all saying, do you have to go? He said, yeah, my work is elsewhere now. And before he left, the mason steps out and says, before you go, speak to us again about our houses. And he says, your ancestors, he says, in their fear of the dark, drew their houses very close together in fear of animals and all of that. He said, mm -hmm. but now the danger lurks within the city walls, not without. Would that your houses were seeds in the palm of my hand. He said, I'd sprinkle them through the meadows and the forests so that when you come to meet each other in the evening after work, you'll come with the smell of herbs and flowers on you, not the grime of the city. Mm -hmm. A woman says, speak to us of our children. He says, your children are not your children. They don't even come from you. They merely come through you. And just as the great archer, which is the great creation, whatever, you are the bow and you must be steadfast and true. In other words, you do your best to point them in the right direction. But where they land, their own business. Yeah. None of yeah. your business. And there's one thing after the next and you kind of say, whoa, this is very fundamental. Mm. And it's true. Marriage is a very good one. He said that's often cited actually at marriages um, where he says um, you must work together with like the two pillars of a temple. You're, 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 you're maintaining a structure. But if you lean on each other, like codependency and stuff, yeah, he yeah, said the structure is yeah. bound to fall. So you must stand apart where the breeze can blow between you. Yeah. But you're joint, you're, you're united in this joint yeah. venture. It's a lovely little book. Um, Who's the author of it? Uh, Khalil Gibran, K-A-H-L-I-L-G-I-B-R-A-N. But there's another great piece in it as well about, about giving. And he says, uh, you say that you would give, but only to the deserving. Mm. He said, look at the apple tree in the orchard. It doesn't discriminate between the good man and the bad man because the apple tree in its wisdom knows that to withhold its fruit is to surely perish. That's a great thing yeah. to finish on, yeah. John. St. <laughs> yeah. John of the Wireless. St. John. St. <laughs> John of the Wireless, yeah. <laughs> thanks for Sorry, million, no, John. I'm sorry. Uh, John, uh, John, I, I John, talk John. for Ireland. That's the thanks problem. Million, Happy John. Christmas, John. Yeah, uh, uh, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And G2. And thank you, John. Yeah, it's great having you. I know, I'm delighted to be here. I love listening to your stories. You should write a book in your stories at some point. The other thing to be huge to be that size. I know, I know. The encyclopedia of the Creedon. I'd have to get a good editor. But uh, great talking, John. Yeah, happy and Christmas too. Yeah, too. Yeah, happy Christmas to everyone. And yeah, happy and Christmas to everybody because this goes out Christmas Day. Yeah. All right. And uh, so happy Christmas to everybody and thanks to everybody for their support. Thank you and happy Christmas. 18 months. Yeah. And thanks to all the Patreons as well, James, yeah. um, for helping us to keep the studio and everything else going. Yeah. So yeah. thank you again. So we'll have three, three, three. And thanks to Rowan for his help. Yeah. Thank as you. always. You're a gentleman. Thanks. Thank you. Shania, bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 